This podcast is for grown-ups only. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We need a stronger warning for this episode. This episode definitely has bad words. What does it have? Bad words. And what else does it have? And content that is not for little ears. You know, you did, you ripped me up for losing a cruiser key. The guy that he had just punched bends down and comes back up with this gun in his hand. Welcome to Diakonos, The Cops Calling. I'm Anthony Weaver, and my guest on this episode is a decorated detective who works for a department in South Central Pennsylvania. I've known him for about 15 years, and I'm honored that he has agreed to come on the podcast. He is here on his own volition and is not representing his department. The things discussed on this episode are his own, and I'm excited to have him. I'd like to welcome Detective Ryan Hockley. Thanks, Ryan, for taking the time out of your busy schedule and sitting down with me. Decorated. That's the same thing uh, Detective Lowe said to me. See, that's why we're like uh, twins, he and I. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do, when I when I say that, I... I do try to think back on some of the things you've been involved in. Sure. And I'm like, well, he definitely has uh, gotten some commendations for some. Done some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I th- I don't think decorated is, is overstating it. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you've been on the job about 15 years. Are you in your 16th year? Uh, I believe. In it. I think I'm in the department. I'm in my fifteenth year now. Okay, I was talking to you before we came on about your ability to tell stories. Yeah, and stories about yourself are always classic. Me? Yes. I don't know how I would. I I was trying to think of how I would describe your personality. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, you're you're very uh, laissez faire. That actually, that is really good. <laughs> <laughs> that that is your laissez faire, okay. but you're uh, also you just have a pretty wicked sense of humor, okay. and you can tell a really good story about yourself. So I was thinking about okay, he's been on the job about fifteen years, but it, I was remembering a story about when you were a rookie, and I was like, man, can you tell the story we were talking about? Yeah, so uh, I was in uh, field training, which you know it's uh, after the police academy, and uh, you're you're a rookie. You have no idea what you're doing. You you ride as a passenger at the beginning, uh, leading up to eventually, you know, actually driving the police car. Always with your field training officer. Uh, but at that time, I was with, uh, I guess you could say, a decorated patrolman, um, and we were, uh, uh, we went to a domestic call, uh, you know, a couple fighting, and this was night shift. So that's basically I worked night shift for the pers- first uh, uh, eight, nine years of my my law enforcement career. Uh, and so we get there and, you know, we, we kill the lights and, and, and park, do everything, you know, the way we're supposed to, um, kind of like, so the, the, the people there in in the domestic don't realize that we're coming. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're down there and we're, we got the, the, the couple, the man and the woman, uh, separated, taking information, um, 
And all of a sudden, I see one of our cruisers, uh, like out of the corner of my eye, kind of like slowly drifting down the street. And I thought, because I had been driving, um, and of course, because I'm a rookie, I don't know how, you know, don't really know how to do anything. Um, for some reason, I thought my the cruiser came out of park and started drifting down the street. So out of nowhere, I mean, I'm literally in mid conversation with like probably the guy or the girl. I don't remember exactly. Uh, I just take off running after the cruiser. Did you take your notepad and pen with you or did you just drop it? No, I think I probably carried it. Okay. Yeah. And what did your, what did your field training officer do? I, I have no idea. He just, uh, I think he looked up and was probably like, where the hell is he going? (laughs) You know? And, uh, so I, I run full speed to get to this cruiser that I think is mine. Um, but it turns out it was a, another patrol that kind of came by to just check on us, make sure we were okay. And inside of that um, cruiser is probably one of our, uh, um, certainly a, a funny guy, uh, but like very serious. Uh, um, he's he's funny. It's hard to describe him. He's um, funny if if he knows you and yeah. likes you. He's very serious if you're brand new and you're a rookie and yeah. he's the type type of guy you, you're just terrified of if now like, I, you know now that i know him so well i mean he's big he's actually a big like teddy bear yes uh but yeah like definitely not a guy you want to mess with or like run at uh and i like i run up to the window he's driving and he he goes what what the fuck are you doing <laughs> and i'm like i i got i thought it was my car like i don't even think i finished it i was just like i'll go back to the the domestic call <laughs> and just like made my way back to the, the, you know, where my FTO was standing and he looks up at me. He's just like sh- raises his arms. Like, what, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'll tell you later. It's not a big deal. <laughs> did, uh, the officer that was in the car that was just driving through the block, did he ever, did he give you a hard time about this then? Uh, yeah, I feel like, I mean, I, I did a lot of silly, crazy things, yeah. you know, can I tell a funny Hockley story? Sure. Am I allowed to? Of course. Um, you and I are in square one. We get coffee. Oh my. And we leave from getting coffee. I guess we were riding together. Or maybe we weren't riding together and I just happened to go into square one coffee, get coffee, and then you, you came um, yeah, I feel to like get I, coffee while I was there. I, I don't remember. I probably, I probably would have been canine then, I guess. Um, yeah. I think so we were working nights together. Anyways, yeah. Square One Coffee, this local coffee shop. And I'm in there and Ryan had gotten coffee before me. And what, after he left, he he realized that he didn't have his duty gloves with him. They're just, you know, some guys wear leather duty. Most guys wear like nylon style, like workman style duty gloves. Yeah. So he comes back to the coffee shop and he comes in. I'm in there. And he goes up to the counter and he asks the barista. Yeah. He's like, did you, you have my gloves here? And she just kind of looked at him and she says, no. Yeah. Uh, She's like, do you need gloves? Do you need gloves? And she offered to give you. Like latex gloves. Latex gloves. <laughs> I'm like, no. And, and this was happening pretty loud. I mean, it's a coffee shop, so it wasn't yeah. very loud in there. And this conversation is being heard by everyone in the coffee shop because it's a small coffee shop. And there's this awkward exchange about wanting latex gloves and if she can give you a pair of latex gloves that they use to uh, do their cooking and stuff in there. Yeah. And uh, you get really flustered 
and you realize that everyone is kind of turned around paying attention to this conversation. You go over to the door and the door into the shop and the coffee shop, it opens into the shop. Right. It doesn't open and, out. And you, <laughs> I've walked right into the door. No, you tried to push, yeah. you tried to push through the door and it didn't, it didn't go anywhere. And you like pushed it twice and it didn't go anywhere. And there's a sign on the door that says, you got to pull the door or something. Yeah. And you, you just yelled. <laughs> you were so flustered. You just yelled, you got to pull, you got to pull. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then, and then you, you made it out. And it, I just remember standing there and, uh, I just, I, I was like, this is, this is classic. Unbelievable. Classic, uh, Ryan Hockley. Cause you were, yeah. I, I could kind of, I could kind of feel your pain though. Cause the, yeah. the conversation between you and the barista was kind of painful. Cause you were talking about a very specific thing. I knew exactly what you were talking about. She had no idea what you were talking about. She thought you no. needed latex gloves. Um, I guess she thought the department didn't provide this to you or something. <laughs> well, I, I don't even, I guess I found my gloves then. I don't, they must've been in a pocket buried or I, I'm sure. I don't know. I'm sure. But it was, it was, uh, it was definitely, um, entertaining yeah. for me for me i like to entertain people yeah uh you do you yeah. do and you can tell an entertaining story so i mean i can tell some really embarrassing stories when i was a rookie yeah um but uh but here you are yeah. and you're on a podcast never never really thought i'd be on a podcast but yeah well i'm i never really thought i'd be, on a podcast. be running a podcast yeah <laughs> so yeah 15 years uh with a department you're at, but mm-hmm. your experience kind of extends beyond that. Uh, so let's go back to sure. your military. Cause you were in the military. Were you a military well, police officer? I think we need to go even further than that. Okay. Well we can go as back far back as you want. I think it, it started when I was uh, in utero. <laughs> what no. happened when you were in utero? No, that I don't made know. you want to become a police <laughs> no, I'm officer. Just, I'm just messing around. No, but I mean, really, uh, really at an early age, um, I sort of always thought that it would be a career that I'd want to be uh, associated with. Why and, is that? Well, I grew up around, uh, uh, had a lot of law enforcement in my family. And it just, I mean, realistically, it's, it always seemed like a fascinating job. Um, uh, a cool, you know, like a cool job. Um, you get to drive around a police car. You get to chase bad guys. You get to... Uh, you know, help people. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it is all those things as well. I mean, it really is. Um, but yeah, uh, what was I saying? You were just talking about your family. You're, oh, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you grew up in a family where you yeah, had, so my, I mean, my, my dad was a police officer, uh, uh, his twin brother, uh, their father. Um, see, I didn't know, I didn't know your dad had a twin brother. Yeah. Where, where did his twin brother work? So, or is he still, he's not still, he's retired. No, he was, he retired as a sergeant from uh, Harrisburg city. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so their dad, my grandfather, he was a a captain in Lebanon. Okay. So Uh, all urban, the city of Lebanon. Yep. Environments. Yeah. Did they sit around and tell you stories when you were younger or did they try to protect you a little bit from, from the job? You know, I don't remember. Uh, well, unfortunately I, I don't really uh, remember my grandfather. Okay. Uh, he passed away when I was like two, I believe he was two years old. So my memory is pretty, it's, there's not much memory of him actually. 
Um, I would say when I was, I mean, my dad never told me stories when I was like a real, real young kid, but, uh, probably like high school, he started telling me a little bit more about his job and it was just absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. How long was, you know, how long was your dad on patrol before? Cause he was, he was a detective for quite a while. Yeah. I want to say he did patrol for maybe like seven years, okay. eight, eight years. Uh, and they had a, he was a part of, I think back then they had something called the warrant squad. You've probably heard of that before. I think he was a part of that for a period of time. Um, I know he always tells a story that, uh, um, back, you know, over the years there was just, uh, um, a lot of, this was, you know, right after, not too long after Vietnam, there was some like really, I guess, like hardened, uh, supervisors back then. Um, I know my dad, you know, he, he worked in a, a steel foundry in Lebanon for, uh, a long time before he actually became a police officer. Um, and, uh, he, there was a period of time when like not long after he came on that he was contemplating quitting, uh, just because, you know, the, the supervisor were giving him such a hard time. Um, and he always credits, uh, Dickie Sims with, yeah. uh, with, uh, helping him like get past all that and, 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 uh, and telling him to stay, you know, st- stick it out. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, I can't imagine some of the officers, the department that I retired from, I couldn't imagine some of those officers working for some of those old salty supervisors because even when i came on um you know one of my favorite supervisors was was uh weber Mm. um yeah you know sergeant weber i was scared to death of him but uh he 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 was if you weren't doing your job big yeah big scary guy yeah yeah he didn't mess around yeah um and uh yeah i wonder how some some of these young young kids would uh operate if with a sergeant like that just, just different different times yeah yeah i guess so so your dad your uncle um and your grandfather all did it so it was kind of you just from from super young age it was just what you were going to do then i mean i feel like that i mean my actions growing up probably didn't always uh um, say that, show that, um, you know, I, I wasn't a bad, necessarily a, I wasn't like a criminal growing up or anything like that, but I certainly didn't always make the, uh, the best decisions. Gotten into, into some trouble through, uh, like high school and stuff like that. Just doing stupid things. Um, what's the worst thing you did in high school? Did this stuff come up during your background? Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I feel, I feel like it did. Um, I mean, I didn't, didn't hide anything when I came on. So, um, the worst thing I did. Yeah. When you, I when mean, I obviously like, you're thinking about something when you, when you start talking about how you weren't the best kid growing up. I don't know. Like I remember uh, my parents went out, uh, it was high school and my parents went out for the night. I thought they were going to be out a lot longer. So I decided to have like a little party at the house. Um, Smart decision. Yeah. And there was like, you know, there was underage drinking and stuff like that. And, um, you know, they, they came home and everybody, like basically all my friends and stuff ran out the back door and I was left there with this whole situation. And I was like, 
you know, obviously I'll, I'll be grounded here for a little bit, but uh, yeah, stuff like that. Stuff you know, like that. You know, nothing, nothing crazy. I was a choir boy yeah. when I got hired. See, I, you know, and now that I'm involved. Which maybe didn't help me initially. Um, I don't know. Like, I was, uh, I definitely like had like some, I don't want to say that you didn't have life experience when you, when you came on. Um, I, I suppose I had a little bit different, we had different experiences. I guess that's what makes us, you know, all unique, um, really. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. And now that I do, uh, um, you know, I'm involved in some, some doing some background investigations for, um, for new hires. It's, it's, it's interesting to, when you see like the choir boy versus the, yeah, you know, somebody with a little bit of life experience. Yeah. I did not have a lot of life experience when I came on and I, it didn't, it didn't help me initially. Um, so yeah, I, I, cause when I was doing backgrounds too, I saw that, that some of those people that had a little more life experience, whether they were older, uh, were in the military, had seen the world a little bit, yeah. had different experiences. Um, you could tell compared to some of your, your young kids that were coming right out of college, uh, yeah. never held a full-time job, <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you kind of grew up that way, grew up in a mil- or in a, uh, law enforcement family. And then, um, when did you, I mean, was it in high school where you basically decided that this is what I'm going to do or had you decided before then? Um, I think it was probably high school. Okay. Um, probably, probably towards the, towards the end of high school. So in high school, you decided you, you think in high school is pretty much where you decided that's what you wanted to do. And then did you develop a plan to get there or did you just, just, I don't know. I I guess so. Yeah. Okay. I'm not really being, I'm not helping you here, but, um, it's hard to say exactly. So in all honesty, I was, I wasn't a very good student, not because, um, I mean, not that I'm not an intelligent person, but I just didn't really uh, like school. Um, I had a hard time sitting in class and paying attention. I just, I was probably, to be honest, probably ADHD or, um, but just not diagnosed with it. And, um, so yeah, so I, I knew that, um, if I tried to go to like college or something like that, it probably, you know, it probably just wouldn't have worked out for me. I, I, um, I needed something a little bit more structured. Um, I think my parents probably agreed with that. Um, so I decided to, uh, enlist in the air force. Um, I was the only recruiter I, you know, I kind of thought about the army as well. Um, at the time I had a friend that was joining, also joined the air force. Um, and I had an uncle, um, who at the time, I can't remember if at that time, I guess he was probably already retired. Uh, he was a Colonel, uh, a surgeon in the air force. Um, and yeah, I just, it was the first recruiter I met and I, I decided to go with them. So your dad hadn't been in the military? No. Okay. No. So this was, this getting into the military was kind of different for your, your immediate family. Anyways. My immediate, I mean, like I said, my dad's, uh, older brother, um, 
was, like I said, a, a surgeon in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. His twin brother was in the Navy during Vietnam. Um, and then my dad's uh, youngest brother uh, was in the Army Airborne. Okay. So it's so not. It was some military. So it was. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. wasn't like you were the first one in. Yeah. So you get into the Air Force, and what was that like for you coming out of? high school and yeah. some of some of the stuff you were you were doing yeah so like um obviously you know the beginning basic training and and the, your initial training so i when i enlisted i was guaranteed a job as a, a military police officer uh, which they call it a security for security forces in the air force yeah um or security policemen um i think just for for ease we'll call it military police um but anyway, yeah, you have your your initial training, which was down in uh, Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, yeah, I mean, you went basically went from doing whatever you wanted uh, to not doing whatever you wanted. Um, getting your hair shaved off at the time, I had like these sort of long hair and sideburns, and and yeah, so they shave your head, and that's yeah. the picture I want to put up. When this, when your episode goes up, I want that. I want you to send me that picture, and I'm going to say, you know, my guest was Ryan Hockley, and I'll, I'll have that picture up. Which picture? I'll put that on the one where you had the long hair okay. and the sideburns and okay. stuff. Um, I think that would be cool. No, no one will know who you are. Yeah, who is this guy? <laughs> now he's a bald-headed. You know, I feel like a lot of us go bald. Yeah, is it the job or is it genes or probably both? I think it's. I mean. Uh, I, my dad's balding, bald. Yeah. yeah, so is my dad. But I, I mean, I, if you would have told me I would go bald, I, I mean, I was balding. It, it kind of dawned on me when I saw myself on video one night, yeah, going down a street and chasing someone in the city, and I was like, "Who's that bald cop?" <laughs> and I realized it was me. <laughs> <laughs> the light was. You know, my hair was so thin it was shining through. I and that's when I I started telling yeah. Lauren. I was like, I I we just got to give up. We got to move on. I had a similar experience. Uh, I was at a wedding, and or maybe it was my wedding. I can't. Ooh, wedding photos. Yeah, and like I was like, oh my god, my hair looks like that. And so then I started buzzing it initially, and then eventually started shaving it all the way down to the skin. Yeah. Yeah. And I. I'm like, well, I can't grow it on my head. I'm going to grow it on my face now. So yeah, you got the uh, the uh, recently retired police uh, starter kit going on there with oh. the, the beard and the. <laughs> I feel like my starter the, kit in the beard department is pretty good, though. The this beard is only and about. The... This is like one month. That's, one and a half month. Not not even one and a half months. That's really it's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm going to. Uh, I got full green light, full year. I don't have to shave. I can grow to full year and see what happens. That's awesome. So I am. We're gonna see what. See, you're gonna, see you're gonna put like uh, beard oil in it, and, and I do. I do use some beard balm. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Just started to. The problem is with wearing these masks. It like I by the end of the day I start looking like the Wolverine <laughs> because the mask straps like kick up the the hair on the sides and because as beard balm and it wants to stick straight out. You have to switch to like one of those uh, shields, the, the plastic face I shield. I saw, check this out. I saw this uh, tactical shield. It was this oh police my. officer 
wearing it. It was called the Ghost Shield, and it's a fully clear shield. I sent it. I sent it to uh, some guys at work. Mm. Um, I I said, let me know if uh, any operators there need this. Oper, you know, just in case no one knows what we're talking about. People, the guys on the CERT team, the SWAT team, refer to themselves as operators, mm-hmm. and I. Anyone who's not on the SWAT team or the CERT team, we tend to uh, make fun of that statement. Uh, we got some operators in the room, so yeah. everything's all right. We got some, some operators here. Some green, green ninjas. Some green ninjas. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I, I saw this. It was called the Ghost Shield, and it was clear, and it had like just a pinch point that you could put around your nose, so it just sat on top of your nose and then ran down over your nose and your mouth and was like basically snug up against your face hmm. and they called it the ghost shield and a cop was wearing it. i was like dude this is probably selling like hotcakes yeah. right now he probably i'm sure it was invented by a cop i'm sure I, I i had an idea for an uh an invention please please share i bet this yeah. is amazing um so when i was a patrolman i would very frequently find myself covered in uh whatever food I ate that because typically I'd eat in the car. Right. Um, or like, you know, you, I feel like I ate so unhealthy too when I was in patrol. Oh yeah. I mean, just like constantly eating out or getting subs and well, you're you young. Know. Yeah. You can eat whatever you want. Sure. And yeah. you're also working all hours of the day and night. So yeah. you're, you don't need to eat like, you know, 12 hour shifts or even longer really, I guess, uh, you know, you have to eat multiple times, but I always had like, I feel like I had food on my uniform all the time. So I, um, I des- I designed a uh, well I didn't design it actually it was just merely a joke but um, we talked about it called the, the uh, war- warrior bib. Um, it was basically like this tactical bib that you could attach to your vest or your your uniform to like the Molly gear. Yeah, and like it was like it was going to be ballistic, so it could stop bullets <laughs> and and stop food. Uh, you know, I've. I've actually heard guys at work talk about this. I didn't realize you were the inventor, the one that had come up with it. Yeah. And here's the thing. If you would have actually gone through and and made this, yeah. uh, people would have bought it. Cops yeah. would have bought it. Yeah. Cops love gear. Some cops love gear. Yeah. They love gear. Yeah. You throw tactical in the front of it, you're going to sell it. Yeah, the final straw was, I remember I tell this story and people always laugh. And uh, one night I, I pulled someone over and, I had just gotten done eating lunch, and as I walk up to the car, <laughs> I go, I, you know, I always kept my uh, notepad in my my uh, shirt pocket, and I pull my notepad out, and like a bunch of lettuce comes flying out, <laughs> like right in front of the person. I'm just like, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm such a super super professional. <laughs> I was like, just go. I went back and got in my car and just left. You know? Oh, you didn't even give him a ticket? <laughs> no, I mean, no. I would say. I gave more warnings than I gave tickets anyway. But, yeah. You know. Um, so where were we? Man, we got off on the tactical bib and oh, the ghost yeah. shield. I know. Um sorry. Oh, you're in the military. Yeah, oh yeah. So you so you're you're in the Air Force. <laughs> yes. Did you ever become one of their uh security forces? Security forces. Yeah, so I made it through all my training, which was all the training actually was uh down in Texas. And then I remember uh, so in basic training they give you uh they give you what's called like a, uh, what what do they call it? I think they call it a dream sheet. And you fill out like your dream bases of where you'd want to be. It, only in the Air Force, right? I'm you sure. do realize if a Marine was in the room, they would just be I crushing know, you I right know, now. I, absolutely. Uh, 
but basically you get to like request where you would want to be stationed. Um, and I think I put like all bases somewhat close to home. Um, and I ended up getting stationed in Germany for the, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess they took what I wanted into account, you know, obviously. And were you in Germany then the rest of your no, time? So in? I did, uh, I did two years in Germany and then, um, my, then I was, uh, my final station was in Ohio at uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base, which, which is in uh, Dayton, Ohio. Okay. Yeah. How long were you in Germany? Two years. Okay. Yeah, I was stationed at, uh, technically it was uh, Ramstein Air Base, um, which you've probably heard of. Um, it's mm-hmm. one of the larger bases over in Europe. Um, but I was, uh, I was part of a unit um, that was like attached to Ramstein, but not on Ramstein. And I was uh, on a little base called Vogelway. Uh, which was actually, I believe it was an army post, but they had a little contingent of Air Force people there as well. Okay. And what were your duties? So yeah, when I was when I first got there, um, everything was like super locked down because this was like right after September 11th. Okay. Um, I was actually in, uh, I was in basic training when September 11th happened and didn't actually get to see like pictures of it for like several weeks. Um, but they told us about it obviously and said, you know, prepare yourselves. We're, you know, we're going to war. Um, I mean, maybe not the Air Force guys, but um, <laughs> uh, no, but obviously we have our Air Force has their role. Um, but yeah, so anyway, we get there and it's everything's like super locked down and um, uh, military police, it's uh, for the Air Force anyway, it's like kind of like a uh, dual, it's, there's two purposes. One is like the law enforcement, the driving around in a police car, patrolling the base, and then the other side of it's like security, so securing the base um, and or securing any you know military assets that are on the base. Um, so I feel like for the first several months, I just I was either like rotating, being in a in a hum, uh, Humvee, which would was posted at the front of the the base, um, where we would oftentimes have like a automatic uh, machine gun uh, mounted to the top, and we're just you know basically, I mean, it was a really interesting times right after september 11th i mean i guess you could call them uncertain times very very um but yeah once the world kind of went back to normal at well not normal but um you know they started uh, lowering the, the the like defensive posture i guess you could say on the base then things went back to a little bit more normal um and then you know we'd guard the the front the front gate of the base when cars would come on we'd you know, check them, check out who's coming on base, you know, search the search vehicles. Uh, so you basically had to man a, a post the most, when, most of the time we were there. Majority of the time. Yeah. And then, but I, I do want to say the, the main mission of the unit that I was in was, uh, we did like town patrol, uh, which was more for like the, the senior guy, the senior guys. Um, I got to do a little bit of it, but like, you'd like team up with, uh, German police, Really? Yeah, and go out and like patrol the town. Um, this area, it's uh, Kaiserslautern, is what it's called, um, is the town in in Germany where Ramstein is closest to. And this area, it's, I think it's the largest population of Americans outside of uh, the actual uh, United States. Really? Yeah. Why? Um, just there's so many military there. Okay. There's army, air. I mean, there's I think there's every branch really. Okay. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, there's a ton of German. Uh, I'm sorry, a ton of uh, army bases, 
and then like I said, Ramstein, which I mean, it's like a it's like a city. It's a huge it's a huge place. So you would team up with German. Yeah, the Polizei. Polizei. And then we had we also had uh, um, like civilian. Um, we called them ZPs, and right now I can't remember what that stood for. Um, but they were like civilian um, security forces guys. And, you know, we'd, they'd go through training, they'd carry guns, uh, and they'd also ride with us or be on post with us. And the idea was, you know, if we, if we dealt with German citizens, then they could help us with translating and stuff like that. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, so, and then, um, so Kaiser Slaughter or what, you know, what we would call as a K town, um, had a, like a ton, a, really uh, quite a nightlife there. Uh, lots of bars and Americans would find themselves getting into trouble quite frequently. Um, so yeah, we would do the town patrol there. And when you patrolled with, like, what was your role? I mean, were you allowed to arrest or yeah, was okay. Yeah. Uh, Americans. Okay. So um, if it was an American, yeah. uh, military personnel or American citizen, you, you would kind of take over the arrest I if think, they were acting like, yeah, basically you know, acting mm-hmm. up. Yeah, if it was a service member, or I guess even a, a dependent uh, of a service member, or, um, and would you take that arrest back to the German police department, or no, they'd come back to the to the barracks, to the police, sta- uh, the police station, yeah, at on base, and they'd get processed, and um, well, obviously a lot different than, um, like a civilian arrest. You're not fingerprinting them or, or anything like that, but. Um, you would call like the the first sergeant typically of the unit that person was in. Um, the first sergeant would come pick them up, and you know they'd they'd be dealt with. So how how often did you get to do this? You said that usually was the more senior. Yeah, like sar- like staff sergeants and stuff would would go out in the patrol. But um, yeah, once I'd say once I made a senior airman, which is a E four, yeah E four um, in the in the Ar- in the Air Force rather. Um, I, I I got out a little bit more with the patrols, okay. and then I was also trained to do like uh, uh, desk sergeant duties. Um, even though I wasn't a sergeant, um, we would do that as well. Yeah. Cool. And the desk sergeant had kind of was like also the dispatcher, so it was kind of cool to be on that end of things. Um, yeah, I mean, really, the unit I was in was, as far as law enforcement, we were pretty busy. I mean, we'd handle domestics on base. Um, Lost children, you know, theft at the at the uh, the BX, which is like a department store, basically on on a on the base. Um, so yeah, there was a little bit of DUIs, crashes. It was a little bit of everything. So you and so yeah, that obviously gave you a, a lot of experience. And before you actually got yeah hired, I mean, it was you know absolutely nothing not, compared nothing to, compared to you know uh, working in a, a urban urban, uh, urban yeah. environment, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I remember you telling me one story when you were in the military and I'm pretty sure it was when you were stationed over in Germany, mm-hmm. uh, something that happened to you in a bar. Um, yeah. it was, it's just a pretty crazy story. Yeah. I mean, so the one thing about being stationed overseas is, and or being in the military, obviously, um, well, and being 18, uh, and being allowed to drink, um, legally at a bar, I mean, it's a, 
it's a pretty big responsibility, especially for an American who's not accustomed to that. If you're European, you're drinking when you're um, 12. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but going over there, I mean, it's kind of like a culture shock, I guess you could say. Um, and, you know, with that, like I said, that large contingent of uh, Army soldiers, Air Force uh, airmen, just a lot of testosterone uh, and a, a lot of probably like way too much drinking as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, me and my buddies, we got into kind of like a little bit of a bar fight, I guess you could say. And I ended up getting uh, uh, slashed with a knife during the during the fight. The back of your head, right? Uh, like the side of my face. Yeah. Because like, you still have that. You still have the scar there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't totally remember. I mean, I think I kind of remember what started it. Um, I think I like, I exchanged words with this, this guy. He was an army guy. And um, I reached out and I like smacked the bottom of his, his beer glass, I think. And like beer flew all over him. And, you know, nothing, nothing really came of it. You know, it was, it was whatever. And like probably like an hour later, me and my buddies go to leave the bar and um, like this dude and like his crew are outside waiting for us. And this guy like grabs me from behind, like literally just like jumps out of nowhere. I don't know if he was hiding behind a bush or, um, and like put his arm around my neck and held a, basically held a knife to my neck. It was pretty wild. Um, yeah, and he kind of like, he just kind of like slat lightly slashed me. Is that what you say? I guess. Um, I mean, you still have the scar, so yeah, I mean, he didn't like, he didn't stab me. He just kind of slashed me. Right. Uh, one of my, one of my buddies came flying over and like punched him, knocked him out. Uh, it was just, it was total chaos. There was like people fight. It looked like a movie. There was people fighting everywhere out in the street. Did did this guy ever get charged or in trouble? No, they 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 like ran away and just never. I mean, I I remember at one point I looked at like a photo array, um, but yeah, I, I just had no idea. I didn't know. I didn't know what he looked like. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of drinking going on. There was, yeah, way too much. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a blast, but looking back, it's like holy. I guess. Almost sort of like a similar to like an American college experience. You know, you go to college and right drink way too much, and at, by the end of it, you end up with a degree. And um, I didn't end up with a degree, but I ended up with you know a whole lot of uh, work experience and life um, experience. Life experience. Got to travel the world, and uh, and yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So you get back. Um, I'm assuming you do four years in the Air Force. I did four years. And, uh, you know, the funny thing about it is, uh, you know, after being in Europe, when I came back to Ohio, um, when I first got back, I wasn't 21. So, like, people would be going out to the bar, and I'd be like, oh, I I can't go. But (laughs) I'd literally just spent two years, like, at the bar. (laughs) That's, That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. So then even by the time like I turned 21, you know, that's like, you know, that's always a big deal where people go right. and get, you know, not do like 21 shots or whatever. Or, um, I don't even think I went out. I just kind of like, well, whatever. 
it's probably a, a testament to how much you were drinking in Germany. You, you're turned 21 and you didn't even want to do it. Yeah. You didn't want to touch the stuff. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I um, got out of the Air Force with with the idea um, that I wanted to uh, become a police officer. So the funny, I, I went back to this uh, where I worked as a kid. Um, there's like a plant nursery that like everybody that went to my high school seemed to work at. Um, I was like, oh, I'll go back and, you know, just work there. I, I literally worked one day and was like, no, I can't do this. Like, um, and I ended up, uh, I applied and, and got hired at Lancaster County prison. So I became like a, a corrections officer. How long did you work there then? So I worked there for six months. Um, I don't even know. I think I just made it off like the probation period. Then I got hired by the department I'm currently at. Did your time as a CO, do you feel like that helped you at all? You know what? It, I do. Um, but in a weird, in a, in a sense that you probably, um, kind of, I mean, you get to, you get to experience what it's like for, um, these guys that get arrested and, and put in jail. I mean, you kind of see the other side of it, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, the conditions, um, that are there and just kind of like, it's kind of like a miserable place because, um, you know, overall the, the guys that are in jail are, are pretty miserable and most of the employees are pretty miserable as well. I, you know, I would say this about the, every time I went into the prison, I hate it. I mean, yeah. And and for me, I was like, well, I I, I guess people should hate it. It, yeah. it shouldn't be a place you should look forward going. But right, um, I I always had a lot of respect for the uh, correction officers because there is no way I'd want to do that job to like, go into a building and you basically lock yourself in a building with people who are right. yeah in jail for whatever whatever it could know. be it could be minor things. It could be major things. It could be things that they're waiting for trials that they're going to be going to federal state. So you have some, you have few people in there who are just, you know, in there for minor crimes. And then you have people in there for, you know, waiting trial for murder and rape and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And like, and when I say like the people that worked there were miserable, I mean, there was a lot of really decent people that were, uh, worked there. Um, but like, I don't know. I you always hear like people say that being a police officer is a thankless job. I don't I don't think that's necessarily true. I've I've received a lot of thanks over the years. Um I would say being a corrections officer is a totally thankless job. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, you know, I mean I've you, never really thought about that. You never that. really hear about them at all. I mean they I mean, you know, without them, you know, what what would be going on with the prisoners that are in 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 prison? That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I and and like I said, I always had. When do they have like National Thank Your Corrections Officer Day? I don't. They they don't. They don't. That I know of. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean it. It's no. I always had a lot of respect. I there is no way I'd want to do that job. No, I mean that takes a special kind of person to do twenty, right plus years in a prison. Oh. I mean, holy mackerel! That, right. It'd be terrible. Do they have like you know how the police have a thin blue line? Is there a, any line for the corrections officers? You know, I don't know. I was talking about, we were talking about this the other day, me and, and, you know, some, some guys, there's like a thin 
blue line, there's thin red line for the fire department, there's thin yellow line for EMS. I don't know. I'm not sure. It's, we're getting, uh, we're really getting out of control with these lines. I want to say lines. corrections might be like a thin green line, but I might be totally making that up. I'm not really sure. Interesting. I don't know. I feel like they're every. I feel like all these. Uh, any type of the thin blue line seems like a somewhat newer thing as well. I, I could be totally wrong. I honestly don't know when that started. I I mean I understand the reason behind it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I don't know when that started or, or how that started. Which my understanding, it's like, uh, you know, the thin blue line, the thin blue line represents like the thin blue line between uh, like decent people and, and criminals. Yeah. And, and it's through the, yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's, that's always what it meant to me. I mean, yeah. I'm realizing in this conversation, I actually don't. I think I know what the thin blue line stands for, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I, it, I mean, for me, the way, the way I always described it is the fact that you have, you know, what, 331 million people in the United States and around 800,000 people in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And that they make up that thin blue line between, you know, evil and good, evil and good. Yeah. 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 So it does have a meaning. Yeah. I just was never a, a, a big, big thin blue line guy or. No. no. Um, I think, yeah, probably early when I started, I was. We yeah. all, we're all kind of that way. Yeah. When you start. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of like whatever. Yeah. It does mean something. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm not knocking it. I mean, I use it in my, <laughs> it, it's on my, uh, uh, my podcast art. Oh it's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's in my podcast yeah. art, but I actually had a, a little bit of a hard time putting it in there just because I was never a big, yeah. like I didn't have it plastered all over my vehicles. I right. Didn't, right. I didn't wear a lot of clothes with it. I mean, it's stuff. something that's immediately recognizable. Yeah. And, to, people, and, it, and it, you know, it has, it does have meaning. Sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So you get your CO for six months, then you, you get hired with the department you're at right now. And, um, yeah, what were your, so obviously everyone starts out on patrol by the time you got into that department, they had dedicated either day shift, night shift. You said you were on night shift. Yeah. And how long were, how long did, were you just in a patrol so, capacity? Then? Um, so yeah, we need do the corrections officer bit, go to the police academy, um, get assigned to the night shift and I was on night shift. Like I said, I believe I said it earlier, I was on night shift for probably nine, 10 years um, until I, you know, decided to make the switch to day shift. Uh, was on day shift for a little bit. We're actually, uh, you were my supervisor. I was. And uh, yeah. it was a pleasure by the way. Oh, Ryan. I'm sure. Uh, well, in a, you know, you did, you wrote me up for losing a cruiser key. Yeah, you um, brought this up. I uh yeah. I don't I honestly don't I do remember Oh, it was a written reprimand. I remember it for sure. <laughs> Cuz it was like right before I was coming up to detectives and I was like you know, is this going to is this going to affect me going to detectives? Actually, I and, do kind of remember that cuz didn't you even ask me that? Yeah. I was like, "No, like it's a written reprimand. It's not that big well, of a deal." I only other in, you know, why did I? Why did in I eleven not? years, I'd only ever gotten one other reprimand, and that was what? that was for a 
I totaled a car. Uh, but yeah. You got a written reprimand for totaling a car? A cruiser. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I will say this. I, I think, uh, I think a lot of supervisors don't do a very good job, uh, supervising. So I, my only question is what I'm saying is like, for the record, that's you saying that. Right. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I think, um, here, here's, here's, here's the thing about discipline within law enforcement. It's meant to correct behavior. Right. So whenever I did it, I tried to be fair about it. Um, I, I, I am a little surprised I gave you a written reprimand and not a knock. Was there more to this story? Because I, I'm not remembering. Yeah. No, I mean, it was pretty, it was a pretty boring story to be, to be honest. I just, it was a, uh, I, I just literally lost the key to the car. Lost the cruiser key. Yeah. I think probably the reason I gave you a written is it's and kind of. And you're like, where is it? I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I literally no idea. It wasn't like I lost it while chasing after somebody. I think, I don't know. I just, yeah, I don't know. Probably the reason I give you a written is because uh, the fact that had someone found that key, they would have been able to open up an entire fleet of police cars. It's problematic, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I did. I always tried to weigh, um, you know, what I I tried to be fair to guys, but I also tried to be a supervisor that didn't just put sweep everything under the rug. Of course. So no, you. But I'm I mean, glad. I'm I'm glad that um, I'm glad we're talking this out because this is obviously this would have been what. Eight years ago? No. This is like four years ago. Oh, yeah. I guess I... Oh, man. Yeah. I guess I was promoted in, what, 2015. So, yeah. Yeah. It probably was only like four or five years ago. Yeah. But still, after four or five years, this is really rocking your world. Yeah, not really. I just thought I'd bring it up. <laughs> I feel like you uh, wrote me up for being late one day, too. I So... That was probably only a knock. I, yeah. I doubt I wrote you up for it. I... I've always been like, I guess you could say, uh, Minuteman. I did dislike Minuteman. Yeah. Because I would give you a hard time about that, but I gave other guys a hard time about yeah, that yeah, too. Yeah. I, I, it, it, it did, it did wear on me. I felt like you should be at work. Yeah. I had a, I mean, this supervisor is no longer working there either. So, um, I remember he specifically, he's like, he came to me, he's like, listen, you need to stop almost being late. I go, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not late though, right? And he's like, he's like, well, no, but you just need to stop being almost late. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I was just always cutting it by the, yeah. But norm- that was just normally, your style. That was my style. Normally, because I, I would like to work out before um, my shift, and I just I hated stopping working out. Yeah, I always left myself with like hardly any time whatsoever to get dressed. Right. And so a good supervisor would recognize that and uh, provide you with some motivation to change that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Yeah. You weren't though. I think there was, there was someone else. There was someone else who's now a sergeant who I wrote up for, for being late and he still, he'll still holds it for me. But I'm, here's my thing. You go to any job in the private sector, you can't just show up late. No, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of jobs you have to like clock in or yeah. whatever. And yeah. You know. And, and so like, and so I, I'd, I'd give a guy like a knock or I suppose like some, 
not leeway, but like, you know, at any given second, something could happen towards the end Absolutely. of the shift. And, you know, and then you end up staying for three, four hours right, but after that, your shift. And of course you get paid for that, but right. still like the... But that doesn't mean you then can show up. It's not like, <laughs> oh, I stayed late two hours, so I'm going to show up for my shift late the next day. <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah. I, guess I right. think we just have a differing opinion on this. I mean, if you, if that's the way you... I guess we'll agree to disagree. Maybe I don't know. Agree to disagree. Yeah, it's always a good one. Um, yeah. Well, I'm I'm sorry. It was it was nothing personal. I uh, I tried to be uh, fair across the board yeah. in my uh, supervision. Yeah. I was probably I was probably I don't think I was tough on guys. I just and I I did not go out of my way to try to discipline like give guys discipline i actually tried to go out of my way to uh catch them doing good things yeah and i would have people come up to me and be like oh you you give way more discipline and knocks and and i'd pull up their file and be like well right here you have five boosts and accommodations for something you did that i put you in for and you have two knocks or or disciplines I, i i think I think it's pretty equitable. That's a big word in these days, but it is. Um, yeah, I have like a different different style, yeah. I guess. So we'll discuss this more offline, Ryan. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. No. No, I'm I'm glad you brought it up. I think it was a good good conversation. I, I think it I think it could really lead into a good conversation on leadership. That's what I think. Yeah, I'm so. with you. I'm with you something that's lacking in a lot of police departments in my opinion, but yeah, I digress. So you were on patrol, but while you were in patrol, you also got uh, assigned as a canine officer. Yep. What, what year was that? Um, 2000 at towards the end of 2008, uh, is when I got my first canine, um, who we, he and I had sort of a love hate relationship. It was a, he was an awesome police dog. Just a little bit uh, um, temperamental, I guess you could say. Be a good, um, but he would always he bit me like three times. I mean, you remember that? Um, yeah. Um. Yeah, and and it got to a point. Uh, you know, he bit me uh, pretty bad on my arm the one day at training, um, and I was like, man, you know, I can't, I don't, I can't work with him. <laughs> So, right. So I they uh, uh assigned I was assigned a new canine and what did they do with the canine that you did have? Um I mean I I know we sent him back to um to the trainer to like the trainer where we got him from at the time. Um and to be honest I'm not totally sure. I think I think they gave him to a handler with probably more experience since this was something that was totally new to me. Right. Um and at the time I got sent to uh you know, quote unquote canine school, um, which was like five weeks long. And, you know, here you have this dog and then you're out in the street and, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot of, uh, uh, responsibility really. Right. You know, um, and, um, where was it? was, oh, so I got a new canine and, um, and yeah, he he and I just hit it off and and he was, he was an awesome dog. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think people realize the amount of responsibility that comes with a canine because yeah. everyone loves the canine. Oh, it's a, it's a puppy dog. And, yeah. and, uh, 
I mean, in that role, you have to do a lot of, um, yeah, I mean, you have to, you know, you have to make sure you're using them properly, of course, um, right. him or her, there are female canines. Um, but yeah, I mean, once you realistically, once you send your dog after somebody, there's really no turning back. So like, um, uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot. Um, it's a lot of responsibility. I know, uh, very early on, I had some difficulties just kind of like, like search, it would be like searching properties, uh, vacant buildings or, or whatever the case was sort of like with like controlling the, where I wanted the dog to go to. Um, but the, the more time I spent at, uh, like my maintenance training, um, you know, that sort of came along. Yeah. It's kind of a weird role because you do a lot of like community type events. Sure. Um, yeah. Did a ton because you know, um, because it's an animal, because people just love it. People just gravitate toward, toward yeah. it. So you do a lot of community events, but, and that's always, you know, fun and everyone's happy and everything. But do, when you do those community events, do people really understand the dog? I mean, how much at those events, cause a lot of times kids are there and stuff. Yeah. How much, how much do you really talk about what the dog is capable of? Cause everyone knows a dog can search and the, you know, but do they know, I guess you do bite bite things with the crowd and that's, stuff. That's more just kind of like a, you know, the wow, the wowing. Right. Um, I would say it really depends on like the age, the age bracket. How much you get in into uh, it. Yeah. Um, like if I went into a school and was talking to, uh, you know, I remember going to like a first, first grade, I believe it was first, first grade or kindergarten. Um, and we're just, you know, we're talking real basic stuff. Um, right. And I remember... <laughs> The, the this one kid was he was raising his hand like the whole time and i was like i was like yeah what's up buddy and he's like um how do you tell the difference between a boy dog and a girl dog <laughs> and i was like oh my uh i was like well buddy that's something you're gonna have to ask your teacher after i leave oh i bet you're i bet that teacher loved you <laughs> you didn't and, even put it back on the parents no 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 right back on the teacher um i had a lot of fun i mean I remember when I first had to do these community things and I was impossibly nervous. Right. Um, where I, like there was times where I don't, I remember real early on I was at uh, um, a baseball stadium um, that's in my jurisdiction uh, doing a demonstration. They, they handed me a microphone. It's like a full crowd of people and I'm just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um like just so nervous and I, I don't even know what I said. It was like, literally I just, I just talked and zero clue what I said. Um, <laughs> I, uh, by the end of it, I'm sure they were, everybody was just like, get this guy out of here. <laughs> I, I came here to watch baseball, not this guy. Is that going to be your same reaction after this episode is over? You're just going to, you're going to be like, what did I say? Yeah. 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 We're going to need some heavy editing here. I always marveled at the canine guys because you guys did so much. You did all these community events and then you were working your regular shifts. Yeah. Um, and, and the, it just seemed like you guys were working all the time. Yeah. Between it's, you know, everything you were doing. Yeah. It was, I mean, I was like, I was saying earlier, I was pretty much always on night shift with the canine and 
so these you know these events would be during the daytime and so yeah it seems like i was always there um you know and then the, the always the running joke with uh patrol is that canine is actually never there when you when you need him um because of like the training days and everything else right. um but the reality is i mean i, I spent you know I, I worked quite a bit and spent a lot of uh, my off duty time um you know going and doing these demonstrations at schools and right. all kinds of stuff yeah yeah mm-hmm. and then when you send a dog you talked about about this a little earlier when you send a dog what level of force is that at basically what i'm getting at is that it's it's a high level of force sure it's not sure it's not deadly force no um I th- but I, you definitely need to meet certain requirements before you can send a dog i think it would fall under like like an impact weapon yeah. type of thing or whatever that is each situation's right you know it's, it's it depends what's going on i mean what's the person doing um what are you doing what are they wanted for um you know what intelligence you have uh, ahead of time um obviously if somebody's punching you in the face um that'd be a good time to grab the dog and let him help you out um but yeah that, right that usually doesn't uh it's not something that happens every day so yeah and yeah. and it's what's interesting about that position too is that even as a supervisor uh when i was on the job i could a canine handler could technically uh, over overturn a decision I made. Mm. So in other words, as a canine handler, if I told you, Hey, I want you to send the dog on this, or I want you to do this with the dog. You could literally look at me and be like, no, I can't do that. I yeah. won't do it because it was, yeah. I mean, it, it, because it, it, it held so much, um, importance and because it, because the use of it was so, uh, regulated, I guess maybe yeah. that's the way you would say, like, sure. um, you know, it, it, the canine handlers had to be really know their stuff and be on top of it. And I tried to, you know, defer to, to the canine handlers. I would, I would often say, Hey, I have this, I think we can use the dog mm-hmm. to search a house. Or if mm-hmm. he runs, I think we can let the dog chase. And I had a pretty good grasp on it, but there were some supervisors that had no clue when you could use a dog. Yeah. I think so, but maybe I'm wrong, but no, I think, I think you could be right. Yeah. yeah. And there were times too, where I would say, I think, I think we're good to use the dog. And that handler would be like, I don't know. And ask a couple more questions and yeah, you know, we'd have to work it out. It's usually but, time to time to kind of work these things. Yeah. Out ahead of time. Yeah. Obviously in the moment, those, those active aggression moments where people are, actively fighting or or they're fleeing and they're a felon or something like that it, yeah. it's pretty it's a no-brainer but um, yeah i mean usually. i i remember there was like a i think there was a call um it was sort of an interesting call um but but so this there was this guy in this car and he was running his mouth saying that he had a stolen handgun um and that if he like encountered a police officer he was going to shoot it out or whatever that was a situation where I ended up using the dog. So should I break this break this down? You're sure. being all like I know. Well, yeah, I don't know if like, I mean, it was justifiable force, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so the front seat passenger male mm-hmm. had a handgun on him. Yeah. So the yeah, and he literally said, "If if the cops pull us over, I'm going to like shoot it out or something." Well, like that. there was a little more that he did. So what happened is, um. This car travels through multiple 
jurisdictions. Yeah. And no one seemed to be able to find the car or catch up to the car. Yeah. So anyways, this car comes in the city, uh, me and another officer together, you and your canine. And, um, we get behind the car, we're following the car. So we go to pull him over. And as soon as he, he, they actually pull over on their own first. Okay. I think it was a female driving. She pulls over on her own cause she sees like two or three cruisers behind. Were you behind at this point? I don't think I was. I was okay. still kind of like coming into the area type of thing. So he gets out immediately upon stopping, he gets out of the car and starts running. And while he's running, he's like reaching in his like sweatshirt pocket um, and his waistband area. So my partner bails out of the car and starts chasing him. I take off in the cruiser fast enough to close his door for him. He doesn't even have to close his door. And um, he's running down the sidewalk and he's digging like in his sweatshirt and his waistband. So I hit him with the car. Yeah. Because I was like, you know, this guy is saying he has a gun that he's going to use it against the police. My partner's chasing him. We have other guys chasing him. So I, I hit him with the car and I, I pinned him, pinned him between like his leg between some steps yeah. and the cruiser. And then he was able to pull, pull his leg out. I think he lost his shoe. And That's then right about when I showed up, I yeah, think you showed up and, uh, he goes to take off running again. Yeah. He, he started like fighting with us or trying to get up to go. Um, I think he was fighting with us and yeah. trying to get up and stuff. And I think. I think that's, I did, I did, I gave you an order. I'm like, send your dog. (laughs) Totally justified in that. Because at that point too, we didn't know if he still had the gun on him. We we still thought he was armed. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it turns out he didn't have the gun on him at that point. Mm -mm. Uh, He left the gun in the car, which we didn't know. Um, And what he was trying to dig out of his waistband and, and pocket area of his sweatshirt was weed yeah so yeah he uh he ended up going up to the hospital he was very offended he was very offended that we hit him with a car and that we sent the canine on remember that um but it was completely justified use of force we did the use of force report we we didn't have any issues with that yeah at all but yeah that's Hmm. a i i kind of forgot about that story yeah yeah thanks for bringing that up of course (laughs) how can you forget hitting a person with a car yeah that was fun i mean I should say, you know, I don't want people to get all bent out of shape with our cop humor here, but right, right, those those things are the adrenaline and and what's involved with that. It, it's 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 fun, like it's it's adrenaline, like sure, you know, sure. But um, but you also it's also a little frightening because you don't want anyone to get hurt. And we were, he was. Saying like I'm gonna shoot the cops if they stop him, so there was like genuine concern. I mean, last time I checked, people do shoot the cops. So yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a real thing. It's not... It does happen. So you know, you have to take it seriously, and yeah. we did. Um, and I don't want to make you know, I don't want to make light of it, but um, you know, it's it's classic. Criminals play their game. We play our game, and fortunately, yeah. on that. On that day, we we won. Yeah, you've also been involved in a in an officer involved shooting. Correct. And mm-hmm. when was that? Um, so this is embarrassing. It's I believe it was 2012, but it might have been 2011. Um, okay. Yeah, it was one I'm of the, trying to I'm trying to remember. It was one of the two. Yeah, 
Because we were... I do know it was April Fool's Day. I wouldn't have remembered that. Yeah. But I was also at that scene with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so April Fool's Day. Yeah. Break it down. Yeah, so, I mean, it was... So, obviously, at the time, I was still... Um, I was still dealing, or I was still uh, on night shift, rather. Uh, had the canine, and we were at an, uh, the scene of a shooting somewhere down in like the southeast, um, where uh, I think it was like a home invasion type of situation. Somebody ended up getting shot, so we were down there on that scene. Um, and well, the bottom line is there was like a, a bunch of people tied up. Um, dealing with this situation there was probably i'm sure there was probably an officer at, at the you know the hospital with the, the victim um and it was it was pretty close to like shift change as well if i recall correctly um it was like six in the morning and i was i literally told the the radio dispatch like i'm leaving this scene and i'm, I'm headed back to the police station to to finish up my uh shift and as I'm going my way in, they said uh, they get out. A, they gave out a radio call for um, like a fight in progress, and um, they said two guys were fighting or arguing, and there was mention of a gun. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'll go check it out before I, you know, go go into the police station. So I go, and at the time, I think I was the only one that went, um, and. To nobody's fault it was just it was one of those situations where like everybody was tied up um and um you know i'm coming up uh it's six in the morning i don't remember what day of the week um and i kind of like sneakily park um probably like half a block away not not quite half a block um but i was definitely like i was around a corner uh out of sight and I'm like, I'm just going to walk in and, and see what's, see what's happening. Um, sure enough, like I, I come around the corner and I see these two guys, uh, standing on a sidewalk across the street. Um, and there are, they're, you know, they're obviously having a heated argument and, um, so like where I'm at, I, I see, I, I'm watching like the back of one guy and I can see the front of the other guy that's facing him. And I see him like do that. He reached it into his waistband, um, obviously grabs something and I watch him set it down on the ground. Um, and at that time I, I like my, my mind was like, Oh, that's 100% a gun. Um, but I didn't actually see the gun at that time. Um, so I started walking, I walked a little bit closer, um, and like all this, I mean, all this is happening at like warp speed too. I mean, it's not like, and you're still across the street. Yeah. Kind of like, I mean, obviously I'm like slowing the story down, but like, this is, you know, it's right. It's, you know, it's happening. And the dude that put the, which, I mean, it was a gun. He put it down on the ground. And as soon as he comes up from, from putting on the ground, he just cracks this guy in the face with like a haymaker shot. This dude stumbles back and just as that happens, this, this guy that threw the punch, he must, he must see me like out of the corner of his eye walking and he looks over, sees me and 
he immediately just turns around and starts walking away. Um, and almost immediately, I mean, like I said, this is instant, um, split second situation. The guy that he had just punched bends down and comes back up with this gun in his hand. And at that time, I mean, he's, he's pointing it at, at the dude that's walking away. Um, so like, I just, I mean, as soon as he came up with the gun and it was pointed at the guy, I, I pulled out my firearm and, and fired, I think like five shots, um, instant, uh, five shots at first, um, towards him. Um, and he kind of like, he took cover behind a parked car. Um, and I saw him like kind of peeking around at me, um, still with the gun in his hand, I fired probably like another three or four shots. Um, shot. I mean, I totally shot up this parked car, um, that he was hiding behind. Um, and then he just stood up and ran. And so I chased after him, called out on the radio. Hey, you know, know, officer involved shooting. Um, I'm chasing essentially two guys. (laughs) Um, Did they run in the same direction? Yeah, they did. Um, um, and right about the same time, uh, there was an off-duty uh, uh, co-worker of mine that was on his way to the police station to come to work for the day. Um, he hears the gunfire around the corner and like, then a second later sees me come running around chasing these guys. Um, and he got out of his car and helped me grab one. Uh, I, we grabbed one. Um, and then guys coming into the area got the other guy. So the guy who originally had the gun set it down and then the guy who to like kick a fair one with the guy, you know, right. And And then he sees you walks away. And then the guy, the other guy picks the gun up off the ground and it's getting ready to shoot. Just like getting ready to shoot this guy in the back. Wow. Yeah. They were both drunk. Um, it turns, I believe they were like, they were like buddies. Um, but they were like having some sort of, they were just beefing it out. Did, did, uh, during the interviews and stuff with, with the, uh, the guy who picked the gun up mm-hmm. was there any discussion about why he held on to the gun was he was he trying to find did he know you were the were the police at that point or did he just think someone was shooting at him yeah so i'm um i remember at the time um i wasn't like it's one of those things where like i wasn't totally sure if i like identified myself right um but it turns out i did cuz he like during the interview he's like yep i heard him say police um but you know, I don't know if he was just drunk or, or what, or I don't know what he was trying to do. Right. Um, all I know is he was still, uh, ducking behind a car with a gun in his hand. Um, right. And, and so I, you know, I perceived the threat and, 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 and shot at him. So, yeah. I mean, um, at that point it doesn't really matter if you've announced yourself as police or not, but yeah, cause you were saying he took cover and then he was still peeking around the car and stuff while he was holding the gun. So I yeah. didn't know if he ever said in his interview, like why he was doing that. If he knew yeah, who you were, or I don't, what he was planning on doing. I mean, I, at the time I was, um, you know, I, I was still relatively young on the job. Um, and obviously I, I wasn't involved in the interview process with, right. with these guys. Because whenever there's a situation like that, I mean, basically, you're the one that's being interviewed. Right. Like, why you did this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah. So, I, yeah, I think I fired eight times, and I grazed him one time. 
Yeah. It, I mean, it was a pretty far distance. I mean, he was... Because you were, you were on the other side of the street. Basically, yeah. I, I think I was in the street, um, but like on the far lane. Yeah. Because it was a two-lane street. I, I think, too, people don't realize how difficult that is under stress. It's dark. When you... It's dark and you don't have... It's not like you're on a range and you have a full silhouette. You you are only seeing bits and pieces of him the over side the top of a, guy. of a car. Yeah. Um, and you're also probably moving and shooting because you're kind of yeah in the middle of the you're in the middle of the street or in that lane, yeah. the far lane. Um, what what was going through your mind when all that was happening? I mean, nothing. I mean, I know you don't that, remember thinking like anything. Like, I mean, part of me was probably like. Uh, like I, I probably questioning, like, uh, I, I hope that's a gun type of thing, but I mean, I knew it was a gun, right? But like in that moment, but no, like I remember my, my mind kind of just went blank and, um, I know there's a lot of talk about like the, I think what's it called the, um, auditory exclusion where when your body's like under that immense stress, um, you don't really hear things, um, which is true because obviously if anybody that's ever shot a gun knows that it's, I mean, it's super loud. Um, I don't even remember hearing the gunshots going off. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean my, it definitely like, um, like found something out about myself that day because like, you know, you always think about like, this might be a situation where you have to, uh, I mean, for me anyway, I mean, I, everybody's different, but um, it, this is a situation where um, you think is a possibility. You, you don't know if that day will ever come. It might not. Um, I think, so to, I mean, to put it in perspective, my, my dad retired after 21 years. Um, and his father, um, I, I'm, I'm only guessing, was a police officer for at least 20, probably 25, 30 years. Um, and neither one of them ever fired their weapon in the line of duty. What about your uncle? He did. Um, I don't know all the details of that situation, but I do know it was like a, it was like an armed robbery. And I believe when he came out of the store, he started shooting um, at the, the Harrisburg police officers that were there. Um, and they actually, they returned fire and, and killed him. Um, so yeah, but I mean, between just between me and my dad and my grandfather, that's, you know, over, or, you know, well over 50 where nobody's ever used their gun. And then one random f- April fool's day at five thirty in the morning or whatever it was, um, you know, I run into this situation. Right. And that's like, that's the randomness of the job where you go, um, you know, you could be doing one thing and then then thinking you're going home to your, or going back to the police station to to go get ready to go home. And then, you know, uh, a minute later you're firing, shooting at somebody. Right. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's, it's, it can be at times hard to just wrap your mind around it. Um, and I think you make a good point too, that the majority of police officers, even um, your dad and, and uh, your grandfather who worked in urban environments and have, you know, 40, 50 years 
mm-hmm. of time on the job never were in that situation. Um, and, and the majority of officers aren't. And I think guys who are in those positions, who, who find themselves in those situations, um, it's just completely different than what you see on TV. It's a completely different, yeah. you, you, you experience things and see things that just normal, like a normal person doesn't get to see and experience just that auditory exclusion thing you were talking about. Right. That if you're, if you're, I did this one time I was on a range and I fired shots on a range without putting my hearing protection in it. My ears rang for a week. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's brutal. And, and to what's crazy is that your body under that stress and everything, it's protecting itself. Yeah. Like even your hearing it's protecting. Right. Um, uh, it's, it's amazing, you know, really how, how we've been created, how God's created us because yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like you get, you get done and your ears aren't ringing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it blew my mind. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And know, it was like at one point, I guess I, like, I, I don't even remember doing this, but like, as I'm chasing after the guy, I, uh, I, I changed the, the magazine in the gun and it's just, good. you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm glad I did these things. Um, did you hang on to the mag you changed or did you just drop it? No, I, I, I held on to it. Um, yeah, just crazy. Yeah. And just the fact that you didn't remember if you yelled police or not. Yeah. And, and, and so people hear that. Yeah. So people see this stuff on the news, they see videos, they see this and, and then they hear, you know, oh, the officer doesn't remember this. He doesn't remember that. You literally don't. No. You don't. And, and hours afterwards, you start remembering things that you, cause your, your brain is still trying to, to, to make sense of it. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're in complete survival mode and hours later, sometimes days later, yeah. you'll remember something about the incident that, uh, you had not remembered. Did that happen to you at all? Yeah. So I remember like, uh, I was interviewed, um, more than once and like, like, just like you said, like, um, you know, I was interviewed the day of, and then like a few days later, or maybe like a week later, uh, and just to kind of go over things. And, um, as I sit here now, like I can't specifically think of things that I might've remembered. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure there was, you know, cause it's just how the mind works. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember that very clearly cause I, other than the, the uh, off-duty officer was coming into work or whatever. Yeah, I was the next one to you. Yeah, and uh, um, I was really proud of us because we were able, like, I was able to communicate with you. You were able to communicate with me. Yeah, I was able to make sure that you were okay. Yeah, and we were able to figure out where we needed a perimeter set up. Right, and we caught that guy in the perimeter. Yeah, um. I would, it's actually one of the, one of the proudest moments in, in my career. Cause I, I specifically remember that conversation with you on that street corner right after it happened. Yeah. Um, and I also remember a supervisor there that was more concerned about the scene where the shooting happened. Right. And, and I didn't think we should give a crap about the scene at that point. Like I thought we needed to 
figure out if you were okay and get a perimeter set up and, and, and get this idiot who, yeah. you know, had done this. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, that was pretty crazy. I, I do remember that, that yeah, uh, morning. Was, I mean, I, I remember one, one of our guys uh, actually ran to the scene from the police station. Really? Yeah. I wonder remember that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember him telling me afterwards, I was like, you're nuts, man. Why, <laughs> why didn't you take a car? Like, but I mean, it was guys just want to get there. Yeah, and, it wasn't that far. I mean, yeah. Wasn't, I mean, that's a, where it happened. That's a good three, three long blocks. Yeah. I think it's three blocks from the from, a full sprint. Yeah. You're going to get there. I mean, man, if I ran three blocks right now, I'd be completely. Smoked. I mean, this guy's a machine, but you know, <laughs> I bet I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Um, yeah. So did you have any lingering effects from that then? Do you um, feel, do you feel like you had any lingering effects from that? No, or? I don't think so. I mean, like I, I think I alluded to it earlier about, how it kind of like proves, uh, you know, it showed me something about myself, I guess. Yeah. Um, like, so what I was saying is like, you always think like, could I do this or couldn't I, do? you know what I mean? Um, and I, you know, I realized that, you know, this is something that I, I, I didn't hesitate. Right. Um, I was presented with this. Well, I mean, really the initial threat wasn't towards me. It was towards this other, this other guy. Um, I perceived the threat that he was about to be shot in the back and I, and I acted and I, you know, I thought it was pretty cool that I, you know, I did that. Right. Um, without, I mean, really without hesitation. Right. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a unique experience. Yeah. Um, one that, you know, I, I hope I don't have to go through again. Um, but that's like a, like I said about, you know, the, the randomness of this job, you just, you never know. Yeah. Uh, you never know what is around the corner. Yeah, you just you you go in, you handle calls, and all of a sudden you find yourself in like yeah, just chaos. Yeah. Um, after it was over, like, what were your emotions after it was over? Yeah, like immediately after, and then. Yeah, I mean, obviously, days. there's like that. Um, you know, immediately after, probably for like several hours. I mean, there's this adrenaline that, uh, it's just super high. And I remember I, I, I couldn't fall asleep when I got home, um, which was like, it was like several hours later I, I went home and, um, yeah, I remember I couldn't fall asleep. I, I, somebody who had also been in a, uh, similar or like a, in an officer involved shooting told me, he's like, just turn your phone off and, and cause people are going to be texting you all day, like checking on you, make sure you're okay. And, and which was true. Guys were, um, uh, but I was like. Yeah, I turned the phone off and I just laid there and I was like, uh, eventually I did fall asleep. But yeah, it was like uh, that adrenaline, the the dump when it when finally you're, you you know you're you're safe and you're, you know you're finally can, kind of try and relax. Uh, yeah. Outside of that though, like, I mean, I remember it took a it took a while to for me to be cleared. Um, not because of anything I don't even totally remember what what the the, the major holdup was, but mm-hmm. I mean it was like three weeks until I was cleared um maybe more maybe longer than that and uh and yeah, so once I was cleared, it was like I mean that was kind of like you know okay when you know I was like, I know I did the right thing um you know, just let me go back to work that was you know it was terrible not being able to work right. 
Yeah. You don't remember how long you were off before you were cleared? I don't. I want to say it was like three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually is not that long compared to how long guys are off now. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, but the moment after, like when you're standing on the on the street corner, like after uh, it's over, yeah. like, yeah, did you have any emotion then? Or any, any like feelings of, like I've heard guys say, like I doubted that I did the right thing. Yeah. I felt euphoric that I survived, like a whole host, like I, I was scared, you know, what, whatever did. Yeah. I remember like feeling pretty like, um, you know, once the whole thing was wrapped up and we had both guys arrested, um, I mean, realistically, I was happy that nobody was like seriously hurt or, right. you know, um, happy that I wasn't hurt. Um, no, you know, none of our guys were hurt. Um, and, but I do, now, now you say that, like, I remember um, there was a little period of time there where they couldn't find the handgun um, that he had um, because he had thrown it. Um, and so like the whole time I'm like, I remember going back to the station and I'm, and I'm listening to the radio and people are talking about looking for it and where to look for it. I'm like, well, I know it was, it was like the biggest, I was like, I described it as the biggest gun I've ever seen. That was another thing. Like it was a handgun. Um, but I, like, I remember describing, it, I was like, it's a huge gun. Uh, it was like a little 38 revolver. Like it was a tiny little gun. But it looked like a hand but cannon. To me, it looked like, just like the biggest, like a desert Eagle, right. You know, a 50 caliber handgun. Um, uh, but no, it was like a little snub nose 38, um, that he had, it threw, it ended up, it like slid underneath a fence and was like in a foot alley or, or something like that. Um, but yeah, it took a little while for the guys to find it. Yeah. Um, yeah. whatever, whatever happened to that case was, was he convicted and yeah, they both were, um, Oh, well, cause to the, well, I guess they cold cocked him. Well, gun. and he possessed, I mean, it, and it, he had the gun cause the, you could testify that he put, yeah, yeah, you're right. The uh, gun had like an oblivion, the serial number was scratched off of it. Um, and I, I can't remember. I'm, I'm only assuming that they were both weren't able to possess the firearm, but I can't remember exactly. But Do yeah, you remember the, sentences or anything like what I, they got? I don't. Yeah. No. Isn't that weird? Like, yeah. You just drive on and keep doing your job and you start yeah. forgetting these, like you can remember the incident, but you, like, like outside the, of that. The finest, like the finer details. It's yeah. like, well, I have no idea what the sentence was. Right. Realistically, I don't. I do remember a couple of years later, I saw um, the guy I was shooting at. He had like a bench warrant and it, um, I was like, ah, oh, it'd, be, it'd be funny to see him and like maybe reminisce about it. Cause I obviously I never got a chance to talk to him about it. Like, right. Like what the hell were you thinking, man? Um, but you know, I, I never, never happened. Never happened. Probably better. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty crazy story. Pretty wild. Yeah. And now you're up in detectives Yeah, and you work sex crimes. Yeah. Sex crimes. Uh, how do you keep your mind right ch- with all that? Child abuse, uh, phys- uh, physical and sexual abuse. Um, you know, that's a funny question. Um, I don't know exactly how I, um, deal with it. I just kind of do. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an important job. Um, and 
I know I mentioned earlier, like I try not to take things too seriously and I, I like to keep things light and joke around. I think that's a big way I deal with it. Um, is I'm just constantly joking around and playing little tricks on people at work or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, so that helps. Humor helps, I think. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to say that. I, I mean, I've talked to a therapist um, over, the, over the years um, to kind of help me deal with these things, um, things that I've seen. And, uh, and yeah. How long, how long have you been doing that? What's that? Talking to a therapist. Uh, probably the past like two years. Okay. Yeah. And Just, was there like something specific that brought it on? Like a specific case that brought it on or a specific things that you started seeing yourself or that your, just your like, family started seeing in you? Maybe, um, you know, I think I, I noticed like I just felt like would feel a little bit like kind of cold, you know, um, emotionless about certain things and um, uh, just kind of decided that, you know, you know what 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 could hurt from talking about it um uh, learning some ways some other ways to cope with you know these feelings that i was having um or like uh you know i guess it, what were they called like mindfulness uh stuff like that yeah yeah that, do you think it helped at all yeah. or has it helped at all um yeah so i'm not like um i'm not currently seeing anyone or anything like that. I found a pretty, pretty cool guy that, um, could really relate to. Um, I know he does a lot of work with like, uh, with veterans, uh, combat veterans. Um, so yeah, um, I think it, it helps to talk about things. Um, cause I really try not to, I do like confide in my, in my spouse from time to time, uh, about things. Um, and you know it, it helps so much, but it's it's kind of nice to just talk to like a total, a random person, so to speak. And right, you know what I mean. Do you do you do you tend to try to protect your wife from some of the stuff? Sometimes, um, but I think I probably tell her. Yeah, if something's really bothering me, like I'll tell her. Yeah, like, I remember. Uh, the first fatal car accident I was ever at, that really bothered me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Cause she was the, the young girl, she was still, I guess she was technically still alive when we got there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was, a, she, she received a, it was a traumatic injury. Um, how, like how young? She was young. I want to say she was like 18. Okay. Um, and like, just the whole, everything about it was just, it was really unsettling. Um, um, I, I know there was like, you know, some like brain matter in the car, um, you know, blood. Uh, she was still breathing. Um, I remember kind of like, I think I like held onto her hand or her arm um, momentarily. Yeah. And was just like, you know, telling her it's okay. Uh but yeah, I remember I got I got home then and it was just like, man, it was it really sucked. Did she she died there in the car while you were holding her hand or? uh so they did take her to the hospital, but okay. I mean she was it she was, was a, pretty much it was just a tra yeah. traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I th- I mean that type that type of stuff like I think it just wears on you and like you said, I mean you've been on the job now for 15 years so you had that and how early on was that in your career? Pretty early on. And um, then you had like the officer involved shooting. Shooting. And then in between all that is yeah. all kinds of other just garbage that you tell a normal human being and they're like that's a crazy story and for you it's just it's just another shift you know yeah um so i mean i i appreciate you being open about talking to someone i i I mean i think i think more guys i didn't talk to anyone until 2019 okay and that was that was after um my wife like was all but begging me to Mm -hmm. um and and uh, it I'm was it I, was helpful. I might have gotten some prodding as well. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And do you know why you got the prodding? Did she <laughs> did did she ever tell you? Like, yeah, I, I mean, mean, there I, had to be. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was just like, you know, the, like I like I described, sort of like that cold, emotionless, um, um, probably just kind of grumpy. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um I don't know. Tough to engage. Yeah. With her or with the kids. Yeah. 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 Um but I mean I still I mean I'm I'm pretty uh social person, so you right. know it's never I don't know, it's it's hard to to describe. I find I, guess. I find it's easy to be social around cops. Yeah, I guess so. Like you go to work, you you're you're you know, you're upbeat, you're social. Yeah. And then you go home and you don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. Um, or you're around people who aren't on the job and you're you're you just they just don't they just don't get it. Yeah. You know? And and quite frankly, I mean I've known uh you know, several several guys that have committed suicide. Right. Um well, I mean, you know them as well. And, uh, you know, just wanted to check in. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And kind of, you know, get get a, get out in front of stuff. Right. Emotions. And, and so, I mean, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a great spot. Um, I, I love the work that I do. Um, like I said earlier, it's, it's meaningful work. I, I work with... Uh, some really great uh, guys and gals, and uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the job you do now, um, you yeah. So like, you get you get to really help. I I would say that being a police officer is is a it is a very fulfilling job. Um, but I've I've felt the most fulfilled um, where I'm at now. Yeah. Um. Just because, uh, you know, children who are sexually abused or, or physically abused, um, they need like they need allies. They need an, an advocate, and I really, you know, I really embrace and enjoy, um, you know, help being a part of helping these kids get through these these traumatic and um, you know over overwhelming situations and. Um, and helping them towards like closure. Yeah. Um, whether they, you know, ever totally get closure or, 
you know, it's hard to say, but I, I like to think that it, I'm at least part of part of that process. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever feel like a lot of pressure in that position to not cause more damage to the kid or the or the the survivor of sexual abuse or or um a sex crime? Do you ever feel I, I think I think I would feel like a certain level of I don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing to make things worse. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would say at first that there, I felt like when I, when I first was in this position, um, I was like very careful with what, how I said things. I mean, I'm still careful. I don't just, um, if I'm speaking with somebody, you know, you, but I, I think more so, it, I mean, it also here again, it depends on, uh, the age, um, you know, are you talking to a teenager or are you talking to a, a six year old? Um, and I've found that like the teenagers, um, especially they just, they want you to be honest with them and, you know, and and tell them what to expect and, and, um, and yeah. And just like having like, uh, like open dialogue with them. Right. You know, um, I would say that. Um, cause for the most part, um, how, how we do things is, um, there is a child advocacy center in, in Lancaster where majority, the vast majority of these children are interviewed by, um, a, a, what, what they would call a forensic interviewer. Um, somebody who's been to training and, and knows how to like, um, to interview children so to speak, uh, without like leading them into, you know, I mean, police officers know how to talk to people too. Um, but it's just, it's sort of like they're not police officers. So, um, the idea is that, um, you know, they might be more comfortable talking to this person. Um, but there's been situations where, um, um, simply just, we couldn't wait to interview them later on down the road or, or whatever the case was that, Every situation is different, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I somewhat enjoy interviewing, um, you know, these children and 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 hearing hearing their stories and and like I said before, helping them, you know, get the closure that they right, you know, that they need. And do you think that, like, as how does that affect you? Because how long have you been doing doing this now? So I'm in my third year. Okay. Um, and do you th- do you think that that has any effect on you, or do you think being out on patrol had more of an effect on you? I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't know how it couldn't. Right. To see some of like just the just evil stuff that I've seen that people are capable of doing to children. Um. I don't, I can't sit here and say that it hasn't. Um, I hate to keep saying this, but it's probably like the, the cold thing, you know, it's probably made me a little bit more cold. Right. You know, um, but you know, I, with my own family, then I, um, you know, there's something 
I guess somewhat therapeutic about then spending time with my own family and getting to enjoy that. And yeah. And then, you know, I know I'm not alone because I'm, I'm with a group of, uh, detectives that are, um, experiencing the same things. And, um, you know, we get to kind of, um, there's sort of like a, there's sort of like a bond, I guess there that. Yeah. There's definitely, definitely a camaraderie, Mm -hmm. a weird, uh, yeah. Uh, camaraderie between between the detectives that work in in that area yeah and a lot of times you guys use humor to deal with it humor that most people would find probably appalling. very yeah. appalling off-colored yeah. disgusting but it's kind of like but just like how you it, guys if, deal with it i mean if if you if, never if you're if your job every day was to talk about like penises and vaginas and uh you know bad uncles and bad stepfathers and uh you know and abusing these kids i mean you'd you'd go insane yeah um really um and so it's it's you know it's 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 a humor is certainly a way to to deflect kind of like the the, like the reality of what and the heaviness of it the heaviness and the reality of what yeah what is going on you know yeah and i don't think i mean i've been you know around detectives such as yourself and and other detectives that work sex crimes Mm -hmm. and i mean for because i you know was a police officer the dark humor the the humor that is probably not appropriate for all circles like i i get it but even even within the uh the sex crime unit um that humor sometimes i'm like wow that was crazy yeah you know um but but i get it yeah but then i but it is it is amazing if you just had some you know civilian that overheard it they would probably be shocked because they wouldn't understand that what's going on is not humor for the sake of humor humor at the expense of a of a survivor humor uh at because of the details it's just humor to just try to process it and not have it be so heavy and to like to make it easier to talk about i guess so yeah to speak. you know what i mean yeah because you're because like you said you're talking about body parts and terrible things being done to people and yeah i mean sometimes you just gotta cut that tension a little bit yeah well, you'd have been asking about like impactful cases that I've been, uh, I've worked. Um, I mean, realistically in the past, um, you know, the three years that I've, I've been where I'm at, um, I've had several impactful cases uh, happen. Um, and, um, most of them involved like, uh, like sexual children being sexually abused. Um, you know, which is you know, absolutely horrible. Um, but I had a, a, a physical abuse case that was, um, I mean, it was just horrendous. Um, uh, it was a two-year-old girl um, that was um, um, essentially tortured um, by a caretaker. Um, she received um, uh, second and third degree burns over like a, a large portion of her body. Um, what were, what were the burns from? So, 
um, frankly, we, we never totally figured that out. Um, we have a pretty good idea of what it was. Um, it was like a, uh, um, it's like this facial steamer that was purchased on Amazon. It's like a kind of like a beauty, beauty thing. You get like, you can put like essential oils in it and, and turn it on and stick your face in it and you get like hot air in your face. Okay. Um, but the thing gets super hot and, um, I believe, um, and this is just my theory that the, the child was having like pottying, um, accidents and this was how the, um, this woman decided to discipline the child was, um, to hold her, um, on the, on the steamer. So she had like third degree burns on her, on her vagina, um, like the skin on her vagina, on her, uh, on her buttocks, uh, on her back. Um, her face was burned up and, um, I was the cutest kid on the, on the world. Um, and just how, how, and to top it off, like it happened over the course of like several days. Um, no medical attention was sought for. I mean, could you just, could you imagine like receiving that bad of burns and just nothing, nothing being done for it for like two or three days? I mean, it's just barbaric. So you said a caretaker, this yeah. wasn't the parent or no, um, Sort if of you a, can't, if you can't yeah. say, then I mean, it's sort of, it's sort of a long story. Um, the, the mother of the child was in like, in sort of like a bad spot. And okay. so it was like sort of family, um, um, kind of like cousins. Okay. Um, we're offering to help, um, and we're helping her with, with her children while she was kind of like in this rough patch. Um, and and yeah, so this this happened uh, in in while she was in the care of this this uh, quote unquote cousin. And so medical help wasn't gotten for this child until the child went back to no. So like mom or um, mom um, is reaching out and being like, okay, you know, I um, can you bring back my daughter, type of thing, and. Um, she said that like she was being super weird um, about it, saying like she was in Harrisburg or or she was somewhere and that um, she wasn't available. And she like so like that went on for like a day, and then finally she brought the ch- the brought the girl um, over to uh, like a mutual family member's house and was just like, "Here you go." And she was just had all these injuries all over her body, and she said that. Uh, the girl had accidentally poured um, or burned herself with like hot tea, um, a hot tea accident over like her entire body, which was, I mean, it was ridiculous and obviously a, a ridiculous story. And then, uh, yeah, so it went from there and was, and this was like one of my, I want to say this was like one of my first cases um, after I was assigned into to detectives. I mean, it was a doozy. Um, I put a, just a tremendous amount of work into it. Um, ended up uh, with a search warrant um, on the the uh, main suspect. I actually ended up charging three people, um, three uh, 
two of like the the caretakers, so to speak, that were watching help uh, helping watch this girl, and then uh, one of their family members as well, and um, who sort of she like knew she knew that this happened and did nothing, didn't didn't do anything, basically. Um, so I, I do the search warrant and I find a video um, where they actually had this this girl tied up. Um, she had her uh, arms tied behind her back. She had a pair of underwear stuffed in her mouth, and they're just like treating her like absolute, like basically just total dog shit. I mean, they have they're laughing at her. At one point, they kind of like push her, and she falls over, and like it looks like she hits her head on the bathtub. Um, it, it was just one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. They they pulled out a spatula and were, were like hitting her while she was on the ground. They were hitting her with a spatula and it would, it just looked like it was just like this. Um, they were having like such a fun time laughing about it. And this girl had this, this, the look, I'll, I'll never forget the look. The her, little girl? Yeah. On her face is just, it's like pure terror and she's screaming. Um, yeah, that one, I mean, that case really, that was, yeah. it was super unsettling. Well, it's, it's super unsettling to even have you talk about it. Yeah. And I knew a little bit about this case just from talking to you about it. Um, I remember I had earlier. to, I, I didn't actually have to testify in a criminal trial for this because it was all, um, I mean, it was all taken care of, but, uh, and by, I mean, everybody pled guilty, um, or, um, what's the other one? Nolo contende or whatever it's called. Okay. Were you like, you're not admitting guilt. You're not, you're, you're, yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, so there was some of that and, but I did have to testify for like children and youth in in like family court. And just, I remember like, as I'm going through my case and just the looks on everybody's faces, like, yeah. oh, holy, holy shit. Like, right. It's unreal. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're, you're also like, while you're testifying about it, reliving it. Yep. Cause you had to watch all the videos and look at all the pictures. And yeah, I mean, I traveled up to the, the burn center, uh, spent some time with the girl, um, got to meet, meet her mother. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, um, it's horrific. Yeah. Yeah. At the, like at the conclusion of the, uh, case, I mean, the, the, father's mother reached out to me and was just like, she left me this like super sweet message, you know, just thanking me for all the hard work and everything. Um, I, I just thought it was real cool. Like yeah. the, the conclusion, um, I went out and spent again, spent some time with the, with the, uh, the little girl got like a picture taken with her. That sits on my desk and that's cool. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, uh, it's a special case to me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I have a lot of respect for uh, you guys and gals that do that type of work. Um, I I I mean, I always felt like on the job the stuff involving kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's still stuff just as a patrol officer that involved kids that you know. Yeah. I it's very difficult for me to even talk about. Yeah. Or um, like, and I can't I can't imagine just doing. Or like the call when the you know when when they uh, when a family wakes up and you know finds their yeah finds their baby dead yeah I mean it's the absolute worst thing it's seriously those are the 
it's terrible it's terrible for i mean obviously it's a complete tragedy for the family yeah and then it is it's horrible for the first responding officers and then the detectives because you have a family dealing with a tragedy and then but you're you're also trying to figure out if like if it it was like an intentional tragedy yes like yeah and yeah. so, you, because it's because it's not normal for a child to die or a baby to die. That's yeah. that's not like a normal thing to happen. There's always a big investigation, and yeah. and you're trying to do this investigation in the middle of a family grieving, and it's just very. It's 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 one of the most intense. Yeah, I I think I mean yeah. it's it's super, um, because you just have to walk this line, just and you're tip tiptoeing on eggshells trying to figure out okay, what exactly happened? Right. Um, and you're yeah. trying to protect the scene. Yeah. And like, yeah. if, if the, if the baby or the child's dead, like in their room or whatever, yeah. or in a bedroom, like you can't let them in the bedroom. They want to be in the bedroom to kiss the kid. Like you can't let them it's touch just, the kid. It, it's, it's terrible. Like the, it's, everything about it's terrible. It's, it's giving me goosebumps right now. Just talking about it yeah, because it's, it, it's just some of the worst stuff you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I I just I have a lot of respect for the guys and gals that do do that type of work because I don't I don't know that. Um, I mean I I tried to do it for three months and I was like this is not for me. <laughs> you know it was just a training stint and then yeah. I went back to back to patrol. But um, but yeah, I have a lot of lot of respect uh, for you guys. So yeah. yeah, it's it's heavy. It's heavy stuff. Yeah. There's really no way to not make it heavy. Right. I think it's pretty cool that, um, you know, you decided to, to take up this venture here and, uh, it's interesting. I, again, I never, like I said, I never thought I'd be sitting here talking on a podcast just as, right. you know, you never really thought you'd be, but it's kind of cool to, you know, hopefully, uh, I mean, I've only shared a few stories, but hopefully, you know, people that are listening are, are kind of like can appreciate, you know what exactly i mean i know people people understand that we don't have a difficult job but i think sometimes um it sort of gets forgotten yeah um with everything else that's going on in the world and right and the you know the sometimes how how we're portrayed yeah you know i mean i think i think there's a definitely a certain narrative out there right Mm -hmm. now against the police and i i think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is because I wanted to allow um, officers that I know and, and, and hopefully as, as it continues officers that I don't know to be able to come on and share some of their stories, share some of the things they've been through to, again, I mean, that's one of the goals of the show to help people, you know, better understand the calling, Um, you know, that, many people in law enforcement have not, not all people in law enforcement have a calling to do the job, but, um, most of them do, many of them do. And, um, just hoping that kind of like humanize us a little bit, because I think we're just viewed as these, you know, I hate that term militant humanizing. I know, but I mean, really like we're just viewed as these robots that just, you know, Nope. There's people out there that are saying we just go out and we want to kill people. I'm like, are you, you right. know, yeah. you have no concept of what, 
the guys and gals on in law enforcement are doing on a day in a day out basis, yeah. especially in an urban environment. I'm like, I'm literally wearing skinny jeans and Chuck Taylors. Like a, <laughs> I'm just a normal dude. Like a hipster. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, so I, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you came on and yeah, I'm not sure why I brought up the, like that super heavy, um, story there at the end, but no, I, but see, here's the thing. I think it's good because I could have, I could have officers on and we could just softball the whole thing. And, but I, I really want to have guys on who talk about, Hey, this really bothered me. I did this. Um, and are just honest about the effects that it has yeah. on them. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want it to be like a come by, uh, like, Oh, this is so great. Right. You know, right. you know, I want it, I want it to be real life. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to portray what it's really like out there. Yeah. Um, and as, as much as, as much as I can try and you can try until you actually do it, there's no way to fully help people understand it, but hopefully it'll help a little bit. Being, being a police officer is literally nothing like uh, bad boys, the movie. <laughs> no, it's not like at all. No, they don't do any paperwork. Ugh. I, if I didn't have to do paperwork, I would have lasted. Actually, no, I don't know. Last any longer than I did. <laughs> yeah. But the paperwork's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's nonstop. So, but yeah, I was trying to think of what's like one one uh, funny story we can do to close it out, so it's not a so we don't end like everyone's all depressed now. Right. We're we're, we're depressed. We're like, oh, that's yeah. a terrible, horrific story. Yeah. So, I figured we could just bring it back to church. Bring it back bring to it, church. Bring it back to church and and a kidnapping. So I know what that happened. Talking. Yeah. So there was a. If I recall correctly, there was a situation where this guy was threatening um, a local church. He was threatening someone that went to the church. I think it was like a, uh, if I recall correctly, it was one of the, like the, a nun. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Yeah. And, um, like, like death threats. Yeah. And we were aware of this. The police department was aware of this. Um, we had like, there was like some, yeah, there was just a lot of talk about it. There were some emails, um, just like, you know, if, if you get a call to this, to this parish, you know, it's, uh, it's probably, you need to get there and, 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 uh, you know, respond, respond accordingly. Um, and I remember we were, we were had like a roll call training, um, which is like when the shift gets together and just kind of talks about whatever. I mean, the topic can be, I mean, you name it, you know, we could talk about it. Um, we're like, we'll watch like a, a YouTube video where a cop gets into a situation or, or whatever and kind of talk about it, dissect it. Um, and like, how could this person, how could this officer have done this better, that better or, or worse or, you know, whatever. Um, but so there was a call that came in, um, at this, at this church that, um, where we had the, the information that there was like a, like a death threat made to a nun. Um, I think the description provided was, um, he was the, there was a male, uh, in the church with like, um, 
I don't even know. I think like, he said like, like, like a, African garb or something like that. I don't remember. Um, and, and holding a sword? Uh, there was a sword. I, I remember the sword. Um, yeah, I don't know. But the it, description uh, they gave like resembled the description we had been given of the suspect who was doing the death threats. Yeah. Yeah. And so like we, I mean, we, we hustle down there. Like I think, um, at least half the shift went there. Um, and we get there and we do this like super stealthy entry. Um, we had a plan. We did have a plan. And, we, uh, yeah, so we sneak in. It would look like, like Navy SEAL type of stuff. Like we, we snuck in the I back. You're giving us a lot more credit. Probably. It would probably just look like a bunch of buffoons. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, so we sneak into the back of this church and, um, kind of like scoop this guy up and, and take him outside to see what's going on. And I don't think anybody in the church noticed. So, yeah, because we had, so the plan was that there were two doors at the back of the sanctuary, mm. and was it you and me on one side? Yeah. And then another sergeant and another officer on the other side. Yeah. And the plan was we were going to meet in the middle, and, and basically, because the concern was, like, they were having mass. Right. They were in the middle. It like, was Sunday morning. It was a Sunday morning. They were having mass. The uh, the priest was at the front of the church speaking. Yeah. And this guy was in the very last row. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were blind going in. We were just told he's in the very last row. This is what he looks like. He has a sword. Yeah. Um, and he's just sitting there. And so we came in from both ends. The problem was you and I didn't tell the other side when we were going and so we got in there first, and as we're getting to this guy, we realized, like, all right, it's, it's you and me. Yeah. And they they came in quickly. They realized yeah, yeah. that. Um, realized our air. Yeah. But I'll never forget sneaking in that back row yeah. from those doors and looking and seeing the priest. The priest saw us. Yeah. And he didn't stop. He no. just he just kept on. He kept on kept doing trucks. And and we literally. We literally just grabbed this guy out of the last row, yeah. picked him up out of the pew, drug him out into the lobby of the church, and then outside. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was wearing, I think it was like bed sheets, um, if I recall correctly. Yes. Um, he had like a feather duster in his hat. Yes. And he had, it wasn't a sword, it was like a um, chimney, uh, a fireplace, a poker. stoke, yeah. yeah, a poker stoke or whatever they call yeah. it. Yeah. For a fireplace. And um this poor guy, he I mean, yeah, there I mean, was some serious mental health problems going on. I don't think he was there to hurt anybody. No. It was just kind of one of those situations where we literally kidnapped him out of the back of a church service. Yeah. And um Oh yeah, I mean they said he had a sword. Yeah, so. and we kinda dusted him off and said, All right, well, have a great day, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Be on your way. Yep. yep. Um although I do think the uh there were there were um, people from the church that that asked him not to come back because he had he had caused quite a level of concern. Yeah, coming into the church like that. Yeah, absolutely. but yeah, that was that was fun. Mm-hmm. You get to do a lot of fun stuff. Yep. So, I'd say you have more fun, more fun than you do uh, uh, bad times on the job. 
Yeah. I don't know about like uh, patrolling. I think it's a lot different nowadays yeah. than, than like when you and I were doing it. Um, it's still, I mean, I it, it's the same, but like uh, we didn't have like body cameras back. I think the body cameras are a good thing. I do. Yeah. Um, but everything you do is critiqued. Right. You, I mean, you can't just be a normal guy. Right. You have to like, Everything you do is 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 critiqued, which again, the body cameras aren't a bad thing. Um, no, but the problem the problem is like, I don't think I don't think in the long run body cameras will do what people want will think yeah. they will do because I think what will happen is you just have so much more body camera footage out there, and and um and just more things for people to look at and be like, well, I don't understand that. So therefore it must be wrong. Right. Or, you know, that officer, um, you know, the other thing is it officers are just afraid, more afraid to act. And, yeah. and quite honestly, that was one of the reasons why I retired. Mm-hmm. I, I got to a point where I was on the street, even the last month or so when I was on the street, I was involved in incidents where, I realized I was second guessing every single thing I was doing, which I knew was super, super dangerous for myself yeah. and dangerous for everyone around me. And yeah. I, I just, I, I don't, I didn't want to work in, in that type of environment. I wanted to be able to do the job correctly, do it well, do it to the best of my ability, but not feel that every single thing I do is, is someone in an armchair who has no concept what, they're even looking at right or or what i'm even doing but like thinks they know how to do it or what my senses are showing me or telling me or what my experience is showing me or telling me yeah can decide well i don't like that i think you know let's let's open an investigation on him or let's let's uh let's you know do whatever i i i mean it would that's super stressful and i have a ton of respect for those that are still doing the job like yourself and, and guys on patrol and stuff because they're doing, they're doing something that, you know, it's, it, it gets harder to do every single day Yeah, because of the environment. Yeah. Even the guys that continue to sign up to do the job, like, yeah, I mean, and the thing is we need good guys to sign up to do the job. Absolutely. We need excellent guys to sign up and, and, and gals to sign up and do the job. Like, and and this 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 progressive push will actually do the absolute opposite um because you know it'll open the doors for cuz no one's going to not as many people are going to want to do the job yeah. and then standards will get lowered and then you'll start getting people on the job that actually do have a lower moral compass and don't have the same ethical standards and then it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy where, you know, right now everyone's saying, well, the police, you know, are corrupt. They do this wrong. They do that wrong. And then, you know, by doing that, you push people away that that really are called to do the job and should be doing the job. And you start opening the door to lower standards and getting people in that shouldn't be. And then that actually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, mm. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Tough days, tough Str- times. Strange times, for sure. Uncertain yeah. times. Um, there you go again with your uncertain times. Uh, yeah, it's another word. It's all these pandemic words, you know, that became popular in the past year. Yeah. I just can't. I can't. Yeah. I can't anymore. Yeah. Well, all that to say, we ended on a 
a funny story. So I think that's good. Yeah. Um, not a, not as heavy, yeah. but I do I do appreciate you coming on and, yeah. and sharing the funny stories and the heavy stories. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Detective Ryan Hockley as he shared some of his experiences uh, on the job. I so appreciate him and the other men and women in law enforcement who continue to put their uniform on every day and do this job. My guest next week is Jevin Miller, who's a detective on a local police department. And a little over 15 years ago, he nearly paid the ultimate sacrifice uh, when he was uh, shot and wounded during a warrant service. So you're not going to want to miss that episode. It's a great episode with just uh, an amazing story. So please tune in to listen to that. And lastly, as many of you know, if you are listeners of this podcast, you know that one of my goals, one of my hopes is to also share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is because it's a personal faith to me. It's the most important thing in my life. It's the thing that matters the most. And if I do this podcast and I don't share that hope that we have in, in Jesus, uh, basically I'm just, I'm just noise. Uh, I really believe that. So I wanted to share a passage out of Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And who's this passage talking about? It's talking about Jesus. He is able to save forever. Nothing we do can save us. We can't do enough good works to save us. We can't go to church enough to save us. The Bible is clear. The only way to salvation, the only way to eternal life, the only way to relationship with our Heavenly Father, for Him to be able to call us sons and daughters of His, is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And this passage is talking about how Jesus um, saves those who draw near to God through Him. So if you have more questions about it, if you want to talk to me about it, email me diakonosacc at gmail.com reach out to me on facebook i would love nothing more than to have a conversation with you about uh, the salvation that's promised us through jesus christ it is the most important thing in my life and the one thing i want to get across in in all these episodes so please if you have any questions if you want to know more about my faith and why I talk about this on every episode, please reach out to me. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to talk to you more about it. I'd love to try to answer your questions. I'm not a theologian, uh, but I do know that the hope that I have in my life is Jesus. And if I didn't have that, I don't know where I'd be or what I'd be involved in. Finally, if you want to kick up dust on behalf of Diakonos, please give us your honest five-star rating and write a review if your podcast platform allows you to. Share the podcast with friends and family. Follow the Diakonos Cops Calling Facebook page or look me up on Twitter at mtonyw. For those of you who give Diakonos Cops Calling your time and your thank you. For those of you in law enforcement, kick up the dust in pursuit of the lawbreakers. Don't ever stop doing it.